Today's bonus episode is brought to you by the Ugly Girl Papers, or Hints for the Toilet. Glass and tin bottles hide snug in a case, waiting for a woman's daily ritual. She reaches for a bottle of ammonia and washes it over her face, careful to replace the delicate glass stopper. Next, she dips her fingertips into the creams and powders of her toilet table, gravitating toward a bright white paint filled with lead, which she delicately paints over her features. It's important to avoid smiling. The paint will set, and any emotion will make it unattractively crack. If you're wondering what today's bonus episode is all about, guess what, kids? I'm going to take you back in time to Victorian England, and we're going to actually look at a beauty column. And let me tell you something. I'm... I'm kind of confused as to what the fuck is happening in this beauty column, but we're going to take a look at it. Are you ready? It's been an incredibly long time since I've released a bonus episode. By the way, hi, it's Carissa. For those of you who don't know and have just tuned in, I'm Carissa, host of Beauty Unlock the Podcast. Basically, I would say host of this fuckery and shenanigans, but hey, whatever. So to those of you who have been here on this ever so long and bumpy ride with me, you know who I am, you know what this is all about. Um, so I believe this is, I think, maybe the seventh, don't quote me on this, seventh bonus episode that we're doing, and we are here at the end of January, and I was like, well, I'll be back, you know, with regular episodes February, and I was like, well, let me just release this bonus episode, so here I am, releasing this bonus episode. (laughs) So a little backstory on this bonus episode and what it's all about. Um, It is about a beauty column, a Victorian era beauty column. And it inspired me because I was listening to some older episodes of Beauty Unlocked. And if you remember, for those have been here since the beginning with us, me, myself and I being us, um, I did a two-parter, five and six, I think. God, I need to... Anyway, I believe it was like episodes five and six, and it was Dying to be Beautiful. And it talked about how our ancestors, they also basically, they had the same kind of pressures when it came to beauty. And we went through the different chemicals that were used in certain beauty products back in the day, such as arsenic, mercury, lead, uh, belladonna, and all these kind of uh, very dangerous Chemicals that you, well, chemicals, well, I mean, some are, well, it doesn't really matter. Alloys and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't really matter. Anyway, they used to put these things in um, their beauty products. And most of the time, it pretty much ended in death. Hence, dying to be beautiful. (laughs) So 
I was looking, I was kind of clean, doing like a bit of a cleanup of, you know, my laptop and everything. And I came across this, um, this article and I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. This was like, I was supposed to use this for those episodes almost a year back. And I was like, I'm going to do a bonus episode. And here we are. When your mind wanders to Victorian England, it might conjure images of a very prim and proper society, yet very rigid. When my mind wanders to Victorian England, it conjures imagery of pure lechery, debauchery, salaciousness, lasciviousness, and all-around orgiastic frenzy of the sexual senses. You know why? Because, well, my favorite smut comes from that time period. But that's enough about me. <laughs> it's true, though. I think because they had such a rigid society, many people use pseudonyms to kind of start writing very smutty short stories, often involving nuns and priests and just lords and ladies. <laughs> So yeah, pretty much that's why I had to bring that up because honestly, Victorian England was a very rigid society. They had some very rigid rules and here we are. I don't know how we got into the smut of it all, but anyway, so the title of this article that I found is has nothing to do with smut, although that might be another bonus episode. Who knows? I might read you some of my favorite smut. You never know. Stay tuned, friends. Stay tuned. You're going to hear a bit of a click right now, but the title of this article, so not professional, professional, I can't even speak, Carissa, be professional, goddammit. Anyway, so the title of this article um, is The Poisonous Beauty Advice Columns of Victorian England, and it was written by Natalie Zarella, or Zarelli, sorry, so sorry, Natalie, um, back, back in December 17th, 2015, and I found it on the website Atlas Obscura. So the article started um, with what I started, how I started the episode, this bonus episode by, you know, reading out glass and tin bottles hide snug in a case. Um, basically a woman's daily um, routine. So in Victorian England, um, this is how some of the uh, women began their daily beauty routines. Unfortunately, cosmetics of the era were plagued by caustic chemicals that could cause bodily addiction. And similar to today, the advice on how, if, and when to use these treatments came from the era's most popular beauty columns. Um, one such column, it was from Harper's Bazaar. <clears throat> ah, Harper's Bazaar. And it was called The Ugly Girl Papers, or Hints for the Toilet. It was written by a Mrs. S.D. Powers, a beauty expert of the time, and became so popular that it was republished in 1874 as an anthology. <laughs> Oh, anyway, I just, well, anyway, there's going to be, I'm just going to be commenting throughout this whole thing. So the Ugly Girl Papers has the tone of a wise aunt with endless advice on how to solve your beauty woes. Actually, I think it would cause beauty woes, but all right. <laughs> the article continues to say, um, in one chapter, Powers asks, is there such a being as a hopelessly homely woman? The fuck? <laughs> It is a rhetorical question, and readers of the time would have known the author's firm belief that one could go from average to charming with just a few dress and makeup adjustments. So according to Powers, women's beauty was an elaborate, skilled, and semi-secret performance. 
Everybody knows there are inventions and accepts them as such, like paste brilliance at a theater. And this is what she wrote. What is a semi-secret performance? Oh, anyway. Um, I don't know. I don't know. One thing that I noticed about, uh, and I, it's not the only um, beauty column I went through while I was researching this topic, or not researching the topic, but, you know, looking through this this article, is that it was a woman's duty to, you know do this like morning ritual every single day and i'm like duty what the hell but then again like we said it's just it was just a different time and it was like pressure although there there are many who do feel like they have this pressure put on them today to you know spend hours and hours applying makeup i mean but at least it's a choice some it's 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 not like you have to i feel like now today it's kind of like more of a choice if you want to but anyway so continuing with this, Victorian beauty ideals were unsurprisingly obsessed with pallor. And this is what we mentioned back in episodes five and six. Upper class white women chased um, even whiter skin, a symbol that their privilege never left them working in the sun. <clears throat> it was all about how to make your skin more translucent. So translucent to the point that you would kill yourself. And this is what, uh, not that, well, Ale Alexis Carl did not say that, but... He did say, make your skin more translucent. I just added the other part. Um, and Alexis Carl is a perfumer and lecturer who has researched Victorian cosmetics extensively. So there are two dominant makeup styles in the 1800s, the natural and painted. So the ideals of natural skin uh, care conjured images of the English rose, a wholesomely beautiful woman with good morals. I had to edit a certain part out because I could not stop laughing when it said conjured images of a, a woman, you know, with good morals. And I'm like, <laughs> we don't know what's happening behind them closed doors, that's for sure. But if their smut is anything like what was happening in real life, who knows? Like, I don't know about good morals and values and being an English rose. Ah, okay. So, <laughs> but Carl notes, it was understood that there were a lot of artifice, uh, there was a lot of artifice, artifice going on. The painted beauty regime was seen as a bit risque. Oh my. These women were not hiding their artifice, nor their desire to be beautiful. Mm. Similar to the no makeup makeup trend that exists today, because things haven't changed that much, the natural look was often achieved through unnatural preparations, many of them homemade and many of them deadly. I added that bit. Modern beauty practices belie the roots of current ideals. A chemical called taraxacum is suggested as a sort of 1800s um, chemical peel by Powers, who says, and I quote, the compress acts like a mild but imperceptible blister. What? And leaves a new skin, soft as an infant's. Oh, ooh, sounds, doesn't sound like something I would want to put on my, ooh. No, no chemical peels, no chemical anything, okay? What the hell? To keep the face fresh, she advises coating the face with opium overnight. What? Followed by a brisk wash of ammonia in the morning. The fuck? For the women with sparse eyebrows and eyelashes, mercury was often recommended as a nightly eye treatment. Huh? Eradicating the need to use heavy makeup. Oh, Lord. So you would do, um, you would use a chemical called taraxacum that would act as a chemical peel, basically. And then you would coat your face with opium overnight. 
followed by a brisk wash of ammonia in the morning. And then you would add mercury to all this. What the hell is happening in this? I can I can't. I can't deal. Okay. Hold up. I need a moment. <laughs> Shit. I hope you're understanding now why I was kind of like so confuculated as I was reading this this uh, beauty advice. I'm like, wow, opium, mercury. Let's put some lead on there for our makeup and a whole terra terra. Taraxicum. I can't even say the word. And I'm just like, this is just, this is just you really kind of pushing yourself into the grave, an early grave. Um, but on back, back, I guess, to, to the article, because I'm just like, what what's happening? So the and I quote this now, the look of the consumptive was very desirable. The woman with the watery eyes and pale skin, which of course was from the cadaver in the throes of death, says Carl. Okay, first of all, consumptive. Consumptive, consumption is what we call today um, tuberculosis. So that was the look they were going for. Very sickly, very pale, Bambi eyes. I mean, wow. It was, which of, and I love how Carl says it here, which of course was from the cadaver in the throes of death. You're making it sound so poetic, Carl. So poetic. I want to meet you. Um, Speak that kind of poetry to me. Tell me how I look like a cadaver in the throes of death. (laughs) Um, So in the article, there's a few pictures. I'm going to be posting this article up uh, apart from in the show notes, uh, also on the Facebook group so that you can all check um, these little advertisement that they have. One here is a lovely, um, which is a... a Dr. Campbell's Safe Arsenic Complexion Wafer. We did mention this, I think, in episode five or six. I'm not too sure. But it's an advertisement um, that was from 1898. Wow. <clears throat> Here we go. To get this near-death look, women would squeeze a few drops citrus juice or perfume into their eyes or reach for some belladonna drops, which lasted longer but also caused blindness blindness in the long run. <laughs> Pale skin was encouraged with veils, gloves, and parasols, but could also be bought. <laughs> okay. Sears and Roebuck sold a popular product called Dr. Rose's Arsenic Complexion Wafers, which were just that little white chalk... Uh, sorry. Which were just that little white chalk wafers filled with arsenic for delicate nibbling. Arsenic for nibbling. They were specifically advertised as perfectly harmless. I'm just wide-eyed here, blinking unnaturally because I'm like, you're nibbling on arsenic. You're putting lead on your face. You're putting belladonna or perfume or citrus juice in your eyes. Um, You're putting mercury on your eyebrows and your eyelashes. I mean, what the hell? I don't know how we survived. I don't know how how we actually survived as a species. What the hell? Arsenic, a natural metalloid found in the Earth's crust, is an extremely toxic compound that can be tolerated for a time when eaten in small amounts and has occasionally been used in medicine. Long-term exposure, however, is extremely unpleasant. Nervous system and kidney damage, hair loss, conjunctivitis, and growths called arsenical keratosis plague the body along with, yes, vitiligo, which causes pigment loss in the skin. Arsenic, which became addictive as a person's 
tolerance built was used in as many forms as possible. Why don't you just shove rat poison down our throats? Seriously. Onwards with the article. Lola Montez, a Victorian actress and traveling beauty writer, wrote in her book, The Arts of Beauty, about how women in Bohemia, now a part of Czech, uh, the Czech Republic, regularly bathed in arsenic springs, which gave their skins a transparent whiteness. She also warned of the price. Once they habituate themselves to the practice, they are obliged to keep it up for the rest of their days, or death would speedily follow. I'm so happy that I'm... I was born in the 20th century, although it's still pretty, it was still a pretty fucked up century because honestly, what the fuck? Though beauty-related deaths were not always reported as arsenic poisoning, it wasn't that Victorian women didn't know arsenic was toxic or addictive. It was not uncommon for it to be used as a poison by murderesses of the era, and by the late 1800s, arsenic was known to be a dangerous ingredient, ingredient when used in dyes and wallpaper. The use of arsenic in small quantities for skin lightening was considered uh, so effective that it continued for decades. You would actually be surprised that it continued well into the 20th century, but all right. Um, so the mentality associated with using dangerous substances was possibly rooted in the era's culture. Toxicity is one thing, but there was also a stream of mortality running through daily life, which is very true, and this is what Carl is saying. Victorian life was full of everyday dangers beyond poison products. But you're adding to those dangers. Why do you need to add more? By just, I mean, you're, I mean it's enough that the, the clothes you're wearing could just catch fire. I mean, your wallpaper, I mean, anything. Everything was poisonous. Everything, everything. You could die easily in those days. And, and here we are. We had to slather some lead on our faces as well. But okay. Um, so Victorian life was full of everyday dangers beyond poison products. Diseases, fires, and electrical mishaps may have contributed to an obsession with death that made domestic dangers like skincare easier to overlook. But why add to the list of dangers? Why? Why? And it's true, though. They did, they did have quite an obsession with death. Um, but we're not going to... That's something else. Um, at the time of Victorian England, I would say, is the time where there was uh, the whole spiritualist movement and seances and contacting the dead and there was this huge obsession with it but okay we're not going to get into it maybe in another bonus episode who knows while the skin remedies geared towards a natural look were dangerous the painted ladies were hardly better off i would yeah well women who use these products coated their faces and arms with white paints and animals in an effort to cover their natural skin tone and mimic an extremely pale complexion basically you're mimicking a corpse these products were made from lead, which is corrosive. The more paint you wore, the more you needed to wear next time to cover your damaged skin. Vermilion, sometimes called red mercury, was a known poison and lip tint. <clears throat> Many advice columnists, including Montez, vehemently hated, uh, as she would call it, enameling. If Satan has, oh my God, this is what she wrote, and I quote, if Satan has ever had any direct agency in inducing woman to spoil or deform her own beauty, it must have been in tempting her to use paints and enameling. This is what Montez declared. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why do you have to blame Satan for everything, huh? So, one painted woman, uh, Virginie, I love how, like, my, my um, pronunciation of things when it's in French changes completely. Instead of just saying Virginie, I'm like Virginie. 
so Virginie Gautreau, depict, depicted in a black dress in Sargent's famous portrait, Madame X, was admired and hate, hate, sorry, hated for the sense. Oh my God, I cannot speak. Hated for the sensualization of her corpse-like skin. Madame X would use indigo dye to paint veins on her arms over the enamel. She was highly skilled. These women were literally living pieces of art. But it's like, but you're a corpse. Okay, so you're wanting to be a corpse and you'll end up a corpse the way that you were going in these days. Um, so not only did your skin have to be translucent, translucently white, you even painted blue veins, you know, by using indigo. That's lovely. While wearing the enamel, painted women had to keep a largely emotionless face against the risk that the enamel would crack. According to Carl, they made a concerted decision to paint rather than employ natural cosmetic methods, which were used out of sight and at home. Once you began to paint, everyone knew you did so, and in a social sense, you could never switch to a natural look. That's not true. Once you were a corpse, you could switch to the natural look. I'm so sorry, I had to say that. It's very, like, I know it's very macabre, but these, like, I felt like, I feel like society back then was just very macabre. And it's just like, you could eventually switch to the natural look once you were dead, because that's what you were doing to yourself. You were dying to be beautiful if you haven't listened to like episodes five and six go and check them out you'll love them uh, so onwards when read as a collection beauty columns like the ugly girl papers have a strangely contradictory feel well in one instance powers claims that ammonia is the most healthful and efficient stimulus for the hair and in another insists that to remove unwanted hair all that is needed is a good application of ammonia i mean I, this is why i said in the beginning, I'm extremely confoculated because here, as it says, you know, it was contradictory feeling. Use ammonia if you want to have a full set of hair, but then use it to remove your hair. It's like, what, 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 what is this? What is happening? Oh, well, youthful grace was emphasized until powers herself aged when she began talking of the beauty found in gray hair. There is nothing more beautiful than gray hair. And I don't call them gray hair friends. I call them wisdom hair. There is a surprising amount of, of advice that seems comparable to beauty and health columns of today, including eating well, keep, keeping fit and developing mental health and a sense of self-worth. Yeah, uh, anyway. And at the same time, none of the above were optional lifestyle choices in the eyes of many beauty mavens at the time. The word duty comes up in these columns a lot, which I mentioned before. I love that mental health and a sense of self-worth. You didn't give two shits back in those days. Let me just tell you. Today's consumers like to think they are savvier than the Victorians. We're no better, actually, than they were. Of course, and there have been indeed uh, there have indeed been some improvements. Ingredient lists are now a legal necessity. It doesn't mean that you can't like hide it. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you can't change the name and hide it. But anyway. And contemporary wearers tend to approach makeup as a conscious method of self-expression and creativity rather than as a duty, which is very true. But we still feel the pressures. But okay. In some senses, though, it's hard to miss the parallels to contemporary beauty tips dispensed by blogs and vlogs and vloggers and bloggers and the potentially risky treatments that wax and wane in popularity and endorsements. 
Uh, it's kind of like how people say, ooh, Botox for your eye is probably not good, while others say, but she looks so good now. And this is what Carl says. And he then asks the question, is it Carl? Maybe not. Sorry, it's the writer. So how far have we really come? Let me tell you, friends, we haven't come that far because if we're injecting Botox into our bum holes to make them, you know, tight and lickable, I'm not joking. Like that is a go to a like to bumhole Botox is a thing. Go and check it out <clears throat> and you'll see. Um, I mean, we're injecting our bum holes with Botox and everywhere else with Botox and we're slathering our skins with different tinctures now. It's a bit different, not as poisonous, but still we're feeling the pressures today of society and maybe beauty columns and advice columns are not as blunt by calling people, uh, listen, this Ugly Girl Papers, first of all, it's called the Ugly ba uh, Girl Papers. Second of all, it says homely. Using the word homely or an adjective to describe somebody's appearance, it's not, you don't use it as a, as a nice adjective to describe somebody's appearance, homely. So you're basically saying, listen, you're ugly and you need to put opium on your face you need to wash your face with ammonia you need to put mercury on your eyelashes and eyebrows you need to slather your face with animals and lead and you need to nibble on um arsenic wafers and no 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 like i mean i know it's it's not like that today but the language might have changed that's for sure but i feel like a lot of advice and beauty columns or health and fitness and all this it's it's the same it's no different it's no difference wow i can't believe it it's been 25 minutes which comes to the second longest bonus episode the first one being i think it it was about 25 26 minutes which was um talking about kinks and fetishes if you if you haven't listened to that one go and check that one out very interesting insightful <laughs> indeed um but i do hope you enjoyed this bonus episode uh on the ugly girl papers <clears throat> and seeing that the the society might not be as rigid um although in the time well Let's just say the society now is not as rigid as it was back in Victorian England. But uh, advice and beauty columns haven't changed tone that much, to tell you the truth. Um, maybe language-wise, but not what their, their underlying meaning is. With all that being said... I will be back in February with regular episodes. Until then, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Beauty Unlocked Podcast. Send us your recommendations. If you have like ideas for the show, um, send us a, an email. And by us, as always, I mean me, myself, and I at beautyunlockedpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also check us out on Facebook, Beauty Unlocked Podcast. You know what? We're, the, our handle throughout is Beauty Unlocked Podcast or Beauty Unlocked The Podcast you'll find us we're everywhere we're even on twitter and don't forget to check us out on youtube i'm still waiting for some um some stuff to come so i can actually start really um doing more videos on the youtube channel with all that being said i hope you have a lovely week ahead and you will hear again from me in the beginning of february bye <laughs> Make it
Make it clap, 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 clap.